part two um, of Let's Talk. We're off and running with four other churches here in Topeka, um, talking about questions, doubts, skepticism that Christians have, that atheists have, that doubters have, that skeptics have, and everybody in between, because as we said last week, everybody has questions. Um, If you grew up in church as a kid, as an adult, the questions are different, but they're still questions, right? Or um, maybe you've never darkened the door of a church before. This is your first time here, your first time joining us online today. You have some questions, and, and they may not be addressed throughout this series, but, but, but you have questions about God. You have questions about the Bible. You have questions about church, all kinds of, of questions. And, and what we're talking about today is you don't have to check your brain at the door in order to follow Jesus, that you can actually approach it um, intellectually. You can approach it with questions. You can approach it in a logical, rational way. Um, because I, we honestly believe everybody has questions. And I think, I believe that Christianity can hold up to the best or worst questions that you can throw at it. That's really what this series is all about. That's where we're going today, the problem of science, okay? And today, we're going to cover every question, every doubt, every skepticism that you've ever had about science, and I'm going to answer it in a perfectly legitimate way, and you're going to walk away emotionally satisfied about everything we talk about today. No, we are going to barely scratch the surface of this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a lot of information, kind of like last week, but throw a lot of information at you. I promise next week we will be back to normal speed. Um, and, and if you feel like I go too fast, you feel like you missed something, you can always go back and listen to it again. Uh, you can always go back and watch it um, again. But this is, um, it's, it's for some of you today, like this isn't even a blip on your radar. Um, you're going to walk away going, well, that was a waste of an hour. Okay, that's okay. I just want you to know that there are people sitting next to you that this is it. This is it for them. This is the issue. Or this is their spouse's issue. This is their son's issue, their daughter's issue, their parents' issue. This is the issue that they have the most questions, doubts, and skepticism about. So if, if you're on that first group and it's, it's not really that big of a deal to you, I just want you to know, I understand. I know, I want you to know that I know I may be talking to a very small percentage of people today, but I believe that small percentage of people matter. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it because they matter. Their questions matter. Their issues, their doubts, their skepticism, it matters. So let's start where we started last week or where we left off last week. I want to continue to encourage you to follow where the evidence leads, not where you hope it leads. This is increasingly more difficult in our culture, but as best as you can, I want you to look at the evidence and allow that to lead you. Okay? Don't look at the evidence and go where you want it to go or, or make it go where you want it to go, but follow where the evidence leads. Now, science, really broad field. Okay? We could talk about biology, we could talk about astronomy, chemistry, physics, zoology, microbiology. There's, the list could go on and on. But from the 30,000 foot view, there are some widely held perceptions when it comes to science and faith that I just want to call out 
and talk about a little bit before we get to the meat and the potatoes, okay? And we could just as easily call these misperceptions, but I wanna give the people who think this the benefit of the doubt by calling them perceptions, okay? So the first one, this is, this is definitely held outside the church, but I've also seen it inside the church. Uh, the widely held perception that Christianity is anti-intellectual, okay? And with any of these, there is a sliver of reality to this. I can point you to churches. I could point you to pastors. I could point you to thought leaders, which is a little bit of an oxymoron, who, don't, who believe that Christianity is anti-intellectual. So I could point you to that. On top of that, there are all kinds of things in our culture, especially through the media, that portray Christianity as anti-intellectual. But when you move past that small minority, when you move past the caricatures and the stereotypes you find in media, there is, for the last 2,000 years, there has been a deep, rich well of intellectual thought that is thoroughly Christian. Okay, just a couple examples. Um, the, the, the university, college, was a 12th century Christian invention. Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, Brown, Princeton, those all began as Christian higher education institutions. Higher education and faith have always had a, 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 a relationship historically. Um, on top of that, some of the smartest people who have ever lived have found themselves on the side of Christianity. Some of them are alive today. And they've found themselves on the side of Christianity. To say you have to park your brain at the door to follow Jesus just isn't true. Christianity is not anti-intellectual. Let me just show you just one piece of this that you've heard before, most of you have heard before. But if you haven't, if, if, if there is a God and he's revealed himself to us in Jesus, you would expect him to say something about this. And Jesus actually did say something about this. One day, the, the religious leaders approached Jesus and said, hey... What's the greatest commandment? What does God care about most? Here's what Jesus told them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Huh. The one who created your mind, who created you with the ability to learn, to understand, to think logically and rationally, that God wants us to approach him, to love him, to relate to him. And part of that is through our minds. Christianity is not anti-intellectual. Second widely held perception, science is objective, faith is subjective. Again, this is not true. And we're gonna to touch on this a couple times uh, throughout this morning, uh, but let's just, for the example, evolution. Evolution is a theory that attempts to explain observable, but sometimes unrepeatable data, okay? Um, evolution tries to explain data that we can see, but you can't always repeat it. And many of the observations, many of the conclusions from science are based on repeatable experiments, okay? Go back to eighth grade. Go back to 10th grade. You're in lab. You got the cool glasses on and you're mixing two different types of liquids together to create a reaction or a, a supposed reaction. That's a repeatable experiment, something you can do over and over and over again, getting the same result. That's what science attempts to do. You can't repeat the Big Bang. 
right? If it happened the way scientists believe it happened, you can't repeat that. You can't repeat the Precambrian era. We can see some, some data from it in the fossil record, but you can't recreate that in a lab. And, and science attempts to explain observable. We see the universe expanding at a rapid rate. We see the fossil record from the Precambrian era, but we can't repeat all of that. So in some instances, science is trying to explain things that are observable, but unrepeatable, which means the data is objective, but the explanation or the interpretation by definition is subjective. Okay, let me just give you an example. (laughs) This is why some scientists looked at the data from COVID and said, this is what's happening. While other scientists looked at the same data and said, no, this is what's happening. Any scientist worth their weight will tell you there's wiggle room. It's not as objective as we make it sound. And some interpretations in science lead us toward God. And yeah, some interpretations lead us away from God. But the point is, science and faith both have subjective elements. It's not intellectually honest to say that science is 100% objective and 100% subjective. Okay, third widely held perception, if I believe in science, I can't believe in God. Whole lot of people believe this, usually starting around college. Or, you know, they found a Reddit, a thread on Reddit. Or they watch a whole bunch of YouTube videos to, well, this guy sounds really, really smart, so he's obviously right. That this idea that presents that science versus, versus God, you gotta, you gotta choose one or the other. That's kind of really, that's really what the, the, the problem of science boils down to it's science versus faith, right? Now, the, um, the lawyers in the room will have to excuse my poor attempt at this because I just learned it this week. But um, in, in Commonwealth countries that follow the English legal style, when you see a court case listed saying Jones v. Smith or Brown v. Board of Education, the way that you say that is not actually Jones versus Smith, it's Jones and Smith. It's not Brown versus Board of Education, it's Brown and Board of Education. I I think maybe, what if it's not science versus faith? What if it's science and faith? What if science can lead us toward faith as much as it leads us away from faith? There's this idea out there, and again, I'm not really sure where it came from, but there's this idea that nobody in the scientific community believes in God. Nothing could be further from the truth. And you don't have to look at religious data to show you this. Let me just show you some data from their own community. There was a study done in 2009, I think it was. 51% of scientists believe in some form of deity or higher power. That's from the American Association for the Advancement of Science. 51%. And then the hard sciences, biology, physics, astronomy, it's much higher than 51%. It's in the social sciences, evolutionary psychology, where it's, 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 at, it's at its lowest. It's actually overwhelmingly atheistic in the social sciences. And you put those together, you get 51% of scientists believe in some kind of... The same study said 31% of scientists believe in a personal God. And 7% said, I don't know. They were agnostic. So from their own data from their own community. It's actually a minority of the scientific community that don't believe in God. It's just not true. 
that they don't believe in God. A majority of them do. So those, those three perceptions bring us to, to this. Fact-based science is not perpetually at war with faith-based religion. They're, they're just not. And if you think it is, you're not following where the evidence leads. You're following where you want it to lead or where somebody told you it leads or you're just making stuff up. When you look at the evidence, you find that science and faith are not at war with each other. It doesn't have to be faith versus science. It can be faith and science. Now, even then, science has its limits. We saw last week, physics can't explain metaphysics. Physics, the laws of the universe, can't explain how or why those laws came into existence. That's a metaphysical question that physics can't answer. And and we looked at this briefly. We'll look at it again a little bit. But the Big Bang Theory um, poses as much of a challenge to atheism as it does to Christianity because it cannot answer the question of who or why. It can't answer those questions. In fact, it raises more questions. And I just want to show you a couple people from the scientific community that say the same thing. Stephen Jay Gold, um, evolutionary biologist at Harvard. He's an atheist. He has gone on record frustrated with his scientific community that say science proves that God doesn't exist. Here's one of the things he said. We cannot use nature for our moral instruction or for answering any question within the magisterium of religions. He's just saying you can't use science to disprove God. To say it for my colleagues and for the umpteenth millionth time, sounds like a frustrated parent, doesn't he? Science simply cannot adjudicate the issue of God's possible superintendence of nature. We neither affirm nor deny it. We simply cannot comment on it as scientists because we're scientists. We can't say one way or another because that's physics trying to explain metaphysics. That's them veering into the lane of philosophy or theology. So science has its limits. There's an, another, a similar argument from Alan Sandage. He was the successor to Edwin Hubble back in the 1950s, 1960s. He's known as the 20th century's greatest cosmologist. He's respected everything he did and said and wrote, respected in, around everybody in that field. Here's what he said. It is my science that drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. He didn't, and he didn't start out as a Christian. He started out as as an atheist or as an agnostic, and the deeper he got into astronomy, the deeper he got into the way the universe works, the more questions popped up. And it wasn't until he was in his 50s that he submitted himself to the lordship of Jesus. It was questions that came from science that led him to God. Science has its limits, but I want you to hear it shouldn't kill your theological curiosity. It should spark it. It should lead you to it. Because the more questions you ask, the more answers are beyond science. So, getting to the meat and potatoes, I want to work through um, what I think is the most common objection science has with faith. Maybe you've asked this. Maybe somebody has asked you this. Maybe you've heard um, the discussion before. But I think this is where the whole science versus faith thing comes from. Evolutionary theory suggests religion is an aberration. 
something we invented to help us survive. Now, we touched on this last week, but evolutionary theory has a filter on it that says all we're trying to do is we're just trying to survive. Whatever helps me propagate, whatever helps me reproduce, whatever helps me continue to survive, that's what I'm going to do because it's survival of the fittest. If you go with evolutionary theory, there are four things that humans have done for all of human history to survive. And you have to run everything through these four filters, and they all start with F, okay? First one is feeding. If you go back to your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents homesteading somewhere in North America, they had no idea when their next meal was going to happen. So if they, were, if they were presented with an opportunity to get a whole bunch of food, more than likely they're going to gorge themselves on it because they had no way to store it and they didn't know when they were going to eat again. Okay, This explains while you go through an entire pint of ice cream on Friday night because instincts die hard. Okay, That's what, that's what they would say. The difference between your great-great-great-grandparents and you is you can go down to Dylan's and get some more. They couldn't. So they had to store up calories. That's the line of thinking in evolutionary theory. Second F, fleeing. This is the flight reaction you have when you hear a loud noise in the middle of the night. Your body tenses up. You freak out a little bit because you don't want to be harmed. You don't want to be killed because you want to survive. So that flee mechanism kicks in. Or the third F, flight, right? Or fight. Somebody threatens you. Somebody threatens your family. You're going to fight that threat to protect yourself or your family. And then the fourth F is reproduction, because I want to keep my job, okay? (laughs) It's reproduction. (laughs) It's actually fornication, you heathens. (laughs) Look at you. But I didn't want to put that up there, okay? Reproduction. I got to find a way to propagate. I got to find a way to pass my DNA on, okay? So if you play this theory out in real life, truth takes a backseat to survival. Survival is the greatest thing, and religion is an aberration. That's where religion is aberration comes from. It's just a coping mechanism to help me survive. I don't care if other people are hungry. I need to eat. Truth takes a backseat to survival. I've got to kill you before you kill me. I don't, I, I don't really care if innocent people need protected. I need to flee. I don't care if you're married. I don't care if I'm married. I've got to reproduce. That's where this line of thinking comes. Truth takes a backseat to survival. And religion was just made up to make us feel better. But we've evolved past that. You following that, that, that idea? Okay. Here's the flaw Here's the fatal flaw in evolutionary theory. If you can't trust your rational faculties to tell you the truth about God, which is what evolutionary theory says, how can you trust your rational faculties to tell you the truth about evolutionary theory? It's it's a logical contradiction. Your flawed mind cuts both ways. here's, Here's how Mitch Stokes says it. Atheists have a reason to doubt whether evolution will result in cognitive faculties that produce mostly true beliefs. He's saying if you're an atheist that believes in evolution, you got to wonder whether evolution can create a mind that produces true beliefs. 
including evolution. Atheists who believe the standard evolutionary story must reserve judgment about whether any of their beliefs produced by these faculties are true. Believing in unguided evolution comes built in with its very own reason not to believe it. Okay? You know who else struggled with this? The father of evolutionary theory, Charles Darwin. Within me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. How can I trust my own thoughts? How can I trust my own beliefs? How can I trust the very theory that I came up with if I can't even trust my untrustworthy mind? Science can lead you away from God, absolutely. That's happened for many people, but the opposite could be very true as well. Science may actually reveal the hand and the heart of God. Just go ask Alan Sandage. Go ask 51% of the scientists who believe in a higher power. When you follow where the evidence leads, you actually might be surprised what you find. So, Let's, let's land this plane looking at the alternative, okay? Genesis 1, as we said last week, when the Big Bang Theory emerged about 100 years ago, the question was, is this a threat to theology? And the Christian minds of the time said, no. No, we've always believed God pre-existed the universe. It was atheists who said the universe was eternal, and now there's a scientifically validated evidence our universe had a beginning. Theologians have always believed for thousands of years in creation, ex nihilo, out of nothing, right? Before there was creation, there was God. Where'd that come from? From the very first line of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, in the beginning, God. If you want to know who, you want to know why, in the beginning, God. Now, what did God do in the beginning? He created the heavens and the earth. It was formless and void and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God. It's not accidental. It's on purpose. It's personal. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. <clears throat> God saw that the light was good. It wasn't random. It wasn't accidental. It was good. One of the reasons you long for good. One of the reasons you read the headlines every day and just shake your head. One of the days, one of the reasons you're sick and tired of watching family members and friends die of cancer is because this place was originally created good. And you long for that. You want to see the world good. Where'd that come from? Why is that in you? God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. To which some of you go, Tim, this is where I get off the train. Because I, I can't go. I can't get my mind around a literal 24-hour day. And if you listen, if you listen to the debate today, there are some Christians who behave like the only issue Jesus cares about is whether that word means a literal 24-hour day or not. It's an important issue, absolutely, but it is not the only issue. And we can hold varying ideas on what the word day means and still get to heaven. 
You go back to what St. Augustine talked about 1,600 years ago. He wrestled with this. He had questions about this. There are sincere, Bible-believing Christians who have a high view of Scripture who believe the earth is 6,000 years old. And there are sincere, Bible-believing Christians who have a high view of Scripture that believe the earth is 13 billion years old. And both of those conclusions can be perfectly consistent with Genesis 1. Don't buy the idea that your entire faith hangs on the interpretation of the word day. Your entire faith hangs on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Not on what day means in Genesis 1. It's far more complex. It's far more nuanced than the this, this six-minute YouTube video you saw one time. It's way more complex than that. Okay? And, and here, this is just me. This is my personal opinion. What if we're asking the wrong question? What if the purpose of Genesis 1 is not to show us how the universe was created? What if the purpose of Genesis 1 is to tell us who and why? Because even if you find out how, even if, you know, tomorrow they find hard evidence that, that it's seven literal days or it's seven eons, they find hard evidence that it's 6,000 years old or it's 13 billion years old, even if they find hard evidence, you're still going to wonder how. You're still going to wonder why. You're still going to wonder who, which ultimately, in eternity, the question that will echo throughout eternity is who, not how. Muslim, Christian, atheist, Muslim, or Hindu, whatever you believe, you have to answer the question, who? Who do you trust? Who created you? Who created this world? Who can lead you to truth, to the way things really are? And why? Why do you wake up every day wishing things were better? Why do you know there's something more? Why do you want to believe it's true? Why do you doubt some of your own doubts? What is that? Who and why are the more important questions? So here's, this is all I want you to walk away with today. Fact-based science is not perpetually at war with faith-based religion. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. It's not true. You can't, you don't have to park your brain at the door and you don't have to throw science out the window. You can think and believe. You can read and believe. You can study and believe. You can research and believe and nobody's forcing you to choose between the two. Science can, and I believe does, reveal the hand and the heart of God if you're willing to follow where the evidence leads. So that's all I got to say about that. Actually, it's not, but I got to let you go, okay? Next week, we're going to talk about the problem of hypocrisy. So all you hypocrites need to come back next week, <laughs> right? Because we're all in the same boat, all right? Have a wonderful, wonderful week. You're dismissed.